Let's read some, some powerful verses of Scripture. Zechariah, what a prophet he was. He's listed in what's called the minor prophets, but there certainly wasn't anything minor about his prophecy. And uh, if you study, you'll know why they're called minor prophets, and I'll let you study that and find it yourself. If I can make you curious, then you can open the word. Listen to what he said in reference to Christ some 500 years prior to the incident we're going to read about today. He prophesied through the Spirit of the Lord, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was the prophecy. Let's read its fulfillment in Luke chapter 19. If you will, go with me, verse 29. It came to pass, meaning Christ, when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied. Notice the next line, on which no one has ever sat. Don't miss those kind of important words, because if you've been around any horses or animals of this nature, colts, um, he went on and said, loose it and bring it here. This colt we know was lead broke, but he was not ride broke. How many of you know there's a big difference? Wow. And notice verse 31. And he said, if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. I want you to pay attention to those two words. The Lord has need of it. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. I want to declare to you that's always the way it is with the Lord. How many of you are glad you can believe our God? But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to him, Why are you loosing the colt? I just want to pause and say that our God knows the future. In this little short, little simplistic happening here, here is, here is the Lord even telling them a prophecy just like he said. 34, and they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and threw their own clothes on a colt. Let's go back to this. If he's lead broke, that's one thing. But if he's not broken to ride, let me tell you, throwing a coat on him, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> they throw their, threw their clothes on him, and they set Jesus on him. Let me tell you, that's nothing short of miraculous, because I've been there. I've done that. And he, Christ, went. As he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Watch the religious people. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen and saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you to notice there's that word again, the Lord. Not until, ladies and gentlemen, I was studying here last week and in this week did I ever 
I just thank God. I wish I could live another 30 lifetimes and spend it in the book because I've always read these words. He comes in the name of the Lord, meaning the name of God. He is representing God, and surely that is there. But I want to share something with you that gave me an entirely different perspective of that word, the Lord. He is doing this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of, and he called himself the Lord. It's one thing for me to say, I come in the name of God. But it's another thing to say, I am Lord. You catch that? There's some difference there. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. They did not call him Lord. They would not call him Savior. They said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said unto them these words, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. What an awesome God we have. Spring is here and it's a beautiful season. I thank God every year for the beginning anew of a springtime. Every time we see spring come, it's God's vote that life should go on. I believe you and I are privileged people in this generation to be alive because I think we see the church age coming to an end. Do you realize that you and I alive today, if we're students of the Bible, we know more about God's prophecy than any other generation prior to us. And we're experiencing it not only in its history, but in its present as we live. In just seven days or six more days, we're going to have another Easter. To the Christian, every day is Easter. It's Easter because Jesus Christ is alive. How many of you know him as an alive Savior? Jesus Christ is alive because he lives in every believer. That makes it Easter. The week that we are talking about here in the scripture and the next week, of course, to the crucifixion and resurrection is called Holy Week. And it has become known, and you and I who are twice born know that that's true. This week... Ladies and gentlemen, let's think about it a little bit. This week would forever change the world. There's a lot of events that are remarkable, but none greater than this event that would absolutely change the world. The event, by the time this week will end, will alter history and the future of planet Earth and eternity forever. No wonder it's Holy Week. Christ will enter Jerusalem. Their crowds will lay down their garments. They will lay palm branches before his path. Thus, we call it Palm Sunday. Crowds will cry, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem, the city, had no idea what was about to happen in its streets. The world had no idea what was about to happen to the dilemma of sin. The sinner had no idea what was about to happen, that he could be set free. Rome, this powerful government, and especially in this place, had no idea how for centuries to come Mankind would study and rehearse and search out every action of Rome's history in Holy Week. 
4,000 years have come and gone since Eden. For centuries, 40 of them, the curse of sin has ruined the lives of millions of people. The hope of the promised Messiah has been ridiculed. It has been belittled. It has been mocked and scoffed and laughed at and literally by most of society cast aside. Today, at the happening of the text, today was business as usual for the Roman government. It was business as usual for the scribes and the priests, the Pharisees. It was business as usual for the world as a whole. But suddenly, a disturbing noise breaks forth outside of Jerusalem. The voices of a crowd begin to swell, and a commotion and a stirring was noticed. And evidently, someone is coming to town, and you better believe it was someone. Am I ever glad you know him? Zechariah, I said over 500 years before, said he will ride into town on a donkey. And the word does say he was humble and lowly, I believe is the text. But I want to tell you, he didn't ride that donkey to prove his humility. Jesus came riding on this colt on this Palm Sunday in that day. He came riding on that colt to fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy, but he fulfilled it to try to declare who he was. And they missed it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the most distinctive individual humanity has ever known. He has divided even chronos, time in the Greek. He has, he has divided it into before him and after him. The tick of your watch and the clock talks about him. The date on today's newspaper and your telephone and computer and on the calendar is all about this unique individual. And here's what I love. Jesus Christ is always dumbfounding the natural mind of man. <laughs> the Jews, his own people, would not accept him. Had he come to, to this Jerusalem that day, or had he arrived when he was born, if he had arrived in a blinding brilliance, if there was a flashing silver sword if there was pomp and splendor and music and the shout of angels, if he was in majestic apparel, if there was a blast of heaven's trumpet that would say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, I'm sending him as the king, bow to him, Israel in pride would have embraced him and thought he's going to get them out from the iron heel of the Roman Empire and they would have instantly accepted him. but a baby in a manger. And those of us who are commoners <laughs> ought to be thankful he came to a manger. An infant king lying in a feed trough. 
a king in a stable. And for 33 years, no matter what he did, they did not reconcile it. Even though Jesus was all that Messiah for 4,000 years had been prophesied to be, with all of his deeds, with all of his power, with all of the authenticity of his breeding, if you will, everything about him fulfilled the scripture. And even though Jesus fulfilled every prophecy prior to his coming, and even though Jesus performed miracle after miracle saying, this is the power of God, I'm the son of God. And even though he lived perfectly tempted in all manner like we and yet without sin, they could not and would not accept him. I want to stop and come to 2019 and tell you something about that. Human nature, when it compromises truth, will begin to compromise truth for self-interest and self-accolades and self-promotion and to get power. And the human beings can so sear a conscience that they get to a place where they can no longer perceive truth and they buy into what Paul the Apostle talked about in Timothy when he said in the last days perilous times will come and they'll totally call good evil and evil good and they will not be able in their mind to even comprehend things in the spirit. Everything in human pride, if you sell it out and want your way over God's way so much, God will let you have exactly what you want, your way. But here's the problem. When you get your way, you accept the doctrines and devils of demons. And when you get your way, you always go to the bottom. And we were not designed, ladies and gentlemen, as God image bears to live like brute beasts. But there is a doctrine of devil in a spiritual conscious blindness today that we've never seen, but we are seeing it. Here's what's amazing. Israel was so blind. After centuries of waiting, prophets and sages had foretold it for 4,000 years. And all the saints of those centuries had longed for it. And here he is. God literally wrapped his word and put flesh around it. And that God in flesh rides right into God's plan. Jesus is on his way to the temple. I'm glad he still comes to church. Jesus is on his way to an unjust court, vile and cruel and evil. He is on his way to a bludgeoned beating beyond description. He is on his way to a crown of thorns and the plucking of his beard and vinegar for his thirst, not to mention the cruel mockings. He's on his way to the cross. But thank God he's also on his way to a tomb. And yet they called it the triumphal entry. I want to declare to you, ladies and gentlemen, there are two worlds in motion at this scene. 
There is Christ in the supernatural and the spiritual, if you will, and it invades the natural. To the natural man, this scene, these happenings in the city of Jerusalem is insanity. It is without reason, and the human being cannot wrap his mind around all of that. Here's what the thoughts are. Why should a man who is free go to die like someone who is guilty? Why should an innocent man suffer the disgrace of a lowly criminal? If he is who he says he is and who some say he is, why not just call if you're in the name and you call yourself Lord of all creation and Lord of the universe and you're having to experience this, why don't you just call a legion of angels? Because ladies and gentlemen, this Christ was pre-incarnate for 4,000 years through the entire pages of the Old Testament. He's the pre-incarnate flesh of God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, and he at times was known many times, go count it, the Lord of hosts. And here he arrives in person. He still commands those hosts, and he could have. And to the rational mind, why didn't he call those angels? And if he is who he claims to be, why doesn't he just simply take the throne and rule not only Jerusalem, how about just taking over the Roman Empire? And they call this a triumphal entry. But sir, madam, ladies and gentlemen, saint, sinner, that Bethlehem babe, this manger infant, this young carpenter, this prophesied cult writer has more in mind than social acceptance. He has more in mind than fame and fortune and ten thousands of pair of eyes staring at him. He has far more in mind than cultural demand and temporary pleasures. He has more in mind than even a temporary throne. For in this entrance, 4,000 years of ruin is to be changed. In this entrance, a new and lasting eternal covenant will be established for fallen humanity. In this entrance, Satan trembles because he knows when next Sunday comes, he is undone. In this entrance, the record is about to be completed. Precious blood is about to flow. Sin and its bondage will be broken. Sickness and disease will have a healer. The slaying of innocent spotless lambs on Jewish soil by the millions will suddenly stop. And for the first time in history, humanity will have a say. For the first time in history, the price of sin will be paid in full. For the first time, your sins, though they be as scarlet, shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. Ladies and gentlemen, this is indeed a triumphal entry for us. And thank God we experience.
experience it. Hallelujah. <laughs> you post on Facebook, you're not used to that. <laughs> this is God, ladies and gentlemen. Literally God paying for my sin. This is God opening the door to me so that I can enter eternal life. This morning on Palm Sunday, a week before Easter, I have good news for you. Our souls have a Savior. Satan is defeated and the Word is King. But the New Testament message is not only good news, it's beyond the natural elements. This was a literal physical riding in and there were literal clothes and a literal donkey and the palm trees and all the the branches and all that there. But there's another triumphal entry that I want you to see also, and that is this. You and I have become the temple. You and I have become the dwelling place. Paul wrote it, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know? I want you to grasp this. Do you not know? That you are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. I remember when I was five years old. To be honest with you, I didn't know much about the triumphal entry in Jerusalem at that time. But that morning when I was five years old and knelt at an old one before altar in an Assemblies of God church in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, I had a personal triumphal entry of the Christ. The Jews, they just not, could not comprehend it. The sinner cannot reason it. It will not add up because, ladies and gentlemen, the things of the spirit, the natural mind is not privy to it. That's why it takes faith. To the unregenerate, this whole thing is loss. To the unregenerate, it looks like I'll lose everything. I'll miss all the good times. I'll lose all my friends. I'll lose all the fun in life. I'll lose all those things. But to those who've experienced his personal triumphal entry, here's the good news the old man dies. The old desires fade. There is a new heart now. There is a new mind now. There is a new understanding. There are new appetites now. There is a new creature formed in me, and he begins to work on me. <laughs> and it's taken a while, but it's all different. It's a, it's a triumphal entry for several reasons. I have a six or seven point message now. That was the intro. How'd you like it? Dave said I should have preached this in four weeks, I think. This personal triumphant entry because of who he was and what he accomplished, here it is. First of all, my sins are forgiven. 
I have a new record in heaven. My name's recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Because the writer Paul talked about it in the New Testament. If we confess our sin, he is just and faithful to do two things. Forgive us for our sin. He takes care of the record in heaven. And he said, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he takes care of a wicked heart on earth. And if he doesn't do both, if he just forgives me and writes my name, the wicked heart will change the record again. But he puts a new heart in me. First of all, the record's changed. Secondly, my heart has changed. And I don't lure after the things I used to lure for. And I don't want the things I used to want. I want to live in power and purity and holiness. I want to live without shame. Thirdly, the burden of my sin is lifted. There it is. No more taunting. Oh, the enemy can try to trip me up and he can attack my mind and he can try to tempt me. But there's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no more regret. Those are my B.C. before Christ days. And he is at Domini all that I will ever determine to need. Fourthly, the peace of God permeates my living. The question of who rules my life, the question of lordship is settled. How many of you are glad you know him not only as Savior but as Lord? Fifthly, there is purpose for living. He made me. He plan for me when he was standing in nothing and speaking into nothing even before creation came he had already formed me in his heart and his mind and eventually when my parents came together and provided the egg and the sperm at that second God put that soul and spirit that was ancient in that little womb and I'm going to tell you he had plans for me he not only planned for me he gives me the power to go in it ladies and gentlemen I'm here in the kingdom for such a time as this there wasn't any accident to it it was planned before he even formed the earth God helped the sewers of America running bread with the blood of our unborn and now born children we may have a party about it in New York City, but there's coming a day when God's party won't be quite so pleasant. You're not going to murder his creatures and him say it's okay. How's that for pretty being pretty blunt? Go ahead and have your fr frivolity, but God's going to hold his blood accountable for the murdered 50 million children. Well, there's another one, number six. There is eternal life. This never-ending dying soul that I have, eventually, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to live in the glory world. Because of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and to conquer death and the resurrection, and because of his triumphal entry into my own soul, someday I will have a third triumphal entry. It's when I get to stand and enter the portals of the glory Streets of pearl, foundation stones, streets of pure, clear gold, a city that's not built by mortal human hands. And you wonder why I'm a fanatic for God. You had not seen anything yet. Wait till we get there. Hope you catch this. The scripture says there'll be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. How many of you know that's in the book? 
If you hadn't read it, it is. Take my word for it. If you don't believe it, hunt it. 30 minutes of silent in heaven. And please hear me. Then all <laughs> heaven's going to break loose. You talk about... You talk about being glad we've arrived somewhere. How many of you be glad to get there? How many of you be glad to get there? He'll be riding on a donkey. He'll go under the name of the Lord. And he will finish what he came to do. The first time he rode in, he rode on a donkey, and he rode all alone. The next time he comes, he's going to ride, and behind him is going to be a company of people. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And ladies and gentlemen, right behind this king, the Lord, this time on a white stallion, I'll be on one just like it, and we're going to destroy the armies of Satan the baby killers and the murderers and those who beat children and on and on and on. Let me tell you, with all the crime and filth of our nation and the world, someday God's going to put it in a crucible and we're going to live without it. How many of you can look forward to that day? Amen. <laughs> Jerusalem has never been the same. That day changed Jerusalem. Can I tell you, since the day that he made a triumphal entry in me when I was five, I've never been the same. 